I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. It's Cameron Almasi, and y'all are listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, I bring you, I think, a really interesting conversation with Cameron Almasi. Cameron was a uh, concert promoter out of the Bay doing heavy metal shows, made uh, a little bit of a pivot into, into EDM shows, and now... Um, he's made another move into launching a management company, looking after some up and comers, uh, definitely names to watch Ken, 10k cash truth spaceman, Zach. Um, and he's also the co-founder with young thug of the family business festival. And so we have a really great conversation about what it's like being an indie player, uh, especially in a market with huge, huge competitors. And I mean, I love his perspective about uh how you you know how you how you structure the game in a way that you can win especially when you're outgunned by these these big companies and the analogy um he uses is you know it's the honda versus the bugatti right and and we tend to think of like the bigger company is better but um but maybe not maybe you can be bespoke and uh provide you know a much better level of service when you can focus um, anyway, let me know what you think. Let's get into the interview with Cameron Almasi. And then I grew up in the city. Um, oh, I've been, in, yeah, I've been in here in LA since uh, after high school. So I'm, um, right. LA's home now. But um, you're from California, right? Yeah, yeah. Right on, Bay Area fan, bro. <laughs> where, where are you from? So I grew up in the Oscars. I mean, I grew up in Palo Alto. Okay. It's just yeah. easier to say SF. Sure. Like, you know, most people don't know what that is. But sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up there. Yeah. I went to state college. I went to Sonoma State for like uh-huh. a year. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, uh, and then uh, I just kind of realized, like, I was like, this this is too small town for my vibe. Like, I can't do this. And went yeah. back home and um, started throwing shows. And eventually one thing led to another, you know from throwing hardcore shows, started throwing electronic shows. And I met, I'm not sure if you know the vital events people mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. here in the, in the Bay, but I guess they caught wind of what I was doing on the electronic side of things. And we had a lot of mutual friends and a few referrals went in their way about me and they needed help with marketing at the time. So they, they picked me up and I started, you know, I guess that was like my first paid job in music was just okay. doing marketing for them. Okay. What was it? Do you remember the, do you remember the first show? Well, actually I want to stop you for a second. I want, I want to go back to the very beginning um, yeah, of, of this ahead. journey for you. Do you, uh, 
Do you remember the first record you ever bought? I want to say it was Santana, and it okay. was what's that? Supernatural? Was that the oh, album man. he put out with, with Smooth on it? Yeah, that was like his comeback record. Yeah, yeah, so that, that was that, that was produced by a, a good friend of mine, Dante Ross. Oh no, shit. A and R legend and producer. Yeah, um, yeah. I was a yeah. good record. I was super into Latin music as a kid, bro. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, like, so my grandma had Parkinson's growing up, and she was super sick. My dad was always working, so, like, mm. he always had caretakers in the house, right? And they were all usually Hispanic. And so they'd always be playing, like, that, or there was, like, Mark Anthony was always playing the house, or Ricky Martin sure. was playing the house. And I was sure. super into it because it just, I loved, like, the, the, the vibe, I guess, of the, of the music, really. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no doubt those, those rhythms are, are undeniable. Yeah. A lot of times. Um, yeah. And it's funny, you know, it's funny how you're obviously a long way from from that. But uh, those <laughs> but those experiences shape us. Right. And how we get introduced to, 100%. to this stuff, you know, it, it stays with us sometimes forever. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I, it's it's like one of those things where like, honestly, dude, looking back at it, it's like. I feel like music was always such a trend in my life that it wouldn't have made sense to do something else. Yeah. You know? Like, I just, I can't really see an option to like what I've done. So, so I want to, so let's, let's dig into that getting started. And you were talking about vital events a little bit. And so, um, first of all, what was the first show that you, you threw or you worked on or you got paid for or where, you know, where it wasn't just going there to party. So there was, I mean, if I'm being like super, super specific, like if I'm going to the beginning, the beginning, I was in a local band. Okay. Um, out here in the band, there was a venue in Walnut Creek called the Red House back in the day. And that was like the spot for like Bay Area metal shows. Like mm. they, all the up and comers were coming out of there. Like bands like All Shall Perish or like Fallujah. We would have like touring metal bands like The Faceless coming through there all the time. And Okay. It was a stopping ground in a lot of ways, I guess. It was a really dope, it was like a real upper class venue too. Like it wasn't like some like rinky dink place. It was like a really right. clean spot. E40 would be there all the time recording out at the studio there. Nice. Like it was a really dope spot. And the talent buyer there, um, I think his name was Thomas Johnson. Um, he gave my band a bunch of chances. Like I got his email, we kept in touch. And bro, like really valued my opinion. Like you'd book the tour, but then it's like, well, what's the support? Yeah. And he would let me like kind of go ham on it and just tell him who to book. And he would give me, you know, I would do that. Nice. And that was kind of like, I guess the starting job, but I never like, I didn't think of it like, Oh, I'm throwing the show. I just thought it sure. was like, I'm just helping the, the show sell out. Cause I right. want to play a good show. I don't want to play in front of nobody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I continued the band until college, like the first year of college and a buddy of mine, Seth, he became an agent for Artery Global like a like a boutique at the time artery was like this huge management record label uh, okay. booking agency conglomerate for metal and out of sacramento the owner eric rushing runs ace of spades over there but mm. uh he, i think he sold artery recordings to, like sony or something like that but yeah at the time um you know he just got picked up by that by that agency and was like hey let me put you on like, a little west coast run let's see if you guys can actually tour it i like your music you're my homie like let's see what happens like, yeah. yeah, we're going to go on tour. Mom, I don't need to go to school. So I honestly, like, you know, I think we planned around winter break of that year and we did it and it was like a week. And honestly, it was the most brutal week of my life because like anything that I think could have gone wrong went wrong. Like, you know, night one, someone gets stabbed or something at the show. Night two, someone yeah. got robbed. Night three, the promoter like runs away with the money. Night four, the van breaks down. Like anything wow. like could have. I mean, that's, like, like, that's a good no introduction to it to touring isn't it yeah so it's funny you're talking about uh well first of all you know i i went to ucla to study economics on my way to wall street as well yeah, and got yeah. got detoured into the music business um uh, so awesome. it's funny how that happens but um but you said earlier that like you know looking back right it's hard to imagine you know not working in music right yeah. and so was there a, was there a moment or a day when when you made that decision or you realized Right, because at this point, you're throwing shows, you're in a band, you know, music is consuming your your life, but at the same time, you're still going to college, still thinking about Wall Street, all that. So when did that shift? 
Um, I think the shows, the metal shows specifically, start dying out on ticket sales. Like I just started seeing it. Like the capacities are getting way smaller. The yeah. rooms aren't packing as much. The crowd is older. Like like a year or two ago, like there would be kids my age all listening to like hardcore bands like Expire and Jibalba and like would be like super dope. And that's what I loved about what Pinup was doing, especially at the time. It was like, oh my God, there's people my age that like this stuff too. <laughs> like, you know, and definitely sure. you didn't see that. And hardcore you saw especially, but right. that community eventually started detracting away from the shows and they were I don't think they were into it as much anymore. And my girl at the time, I think I, I lost my ass on a show, I remember. And I was really upset. I can't remember what show though. I, I just remember I lost my ass and I was super upset. And she took me on a drive. And you know Skyline? Like, here in the SF area where it's like you yeah. can see the whole bay? She took yeah. me on a drive there and just, like, just like chill me out and, like, put some calm music on. And we parked and I started talking to her and stuff. And she showed me this electronic producer named Getter, mm-hmm. who was her best friend's, her best friend's older brother. Okay. And I was like, hey, like, this is what he's doing. And, like, you guys see, like, he's with Skrillex now. Like, he's crushing. He's just like you. He loves metal. Like, all that. He just, he found a new way to make that sound. Yeah. And it kind of hit me. I was like, she's right. Like, I really need to like find the next thing. I shouldn't be sticking to what is in the past. I need to find the next thing that's exactly what I like. Mm. And, you know, a buddy of mine actually knew Getter and all that. So long story short, I, we had a show one night. It was Norma Jean in one room, Borgo and Getter in the other. I go to that room. Uh, I meet a bunch of people. Some of my best friends to this day still. I mean, at that show, and they had started taking me to a bunch of shows and doing, like, I started networking a lot more and stuff like that. I just remember, and at this point, everything built up. I got I got a paid salary gig with Vital. Like, they were paying me, like, you know, every month. And I was like, this is super dope. Like, I get paid to do music. Like, I'll take it. Right. And, but it got in the way of my school. Like, I was getting bad grades all of a sudden. And I just remember... I just remember one day, like, it was like, what? Like, I'm in my calculus class and, like, failing it because I haven't done shit, to be honest with you. Like, I'd, mm-hmm. I, I'd always be on my laptop just doing marketing stuff or answering emails. Like, I wouldn't even be, yeah. you know, listen to the class and, you know, working on, like, I don't know, Wobbland or something like that. And then eventually I was just like, dude, screw this. Like, I just walked out of the class and, yeah, me and my, me and my friends took a road trip to Vegas instead and, you know, Never looked back, and I was after that. I was like, you know what? I'm double downing. I, I, I'm not gonna half-ass it because I knew if I like failed, like everything was gone. Let's say I got like the worst thing happened to me, I could still go back to school and like pivot. Right. I can't. When you have an opportunity in the career you like, especially like a career like music, where it's like there is no real like direction or path of how you do it. It you gotta just take it when it comes, you know, big or small. Yeah. Um. Sorry for the ramble. <laughs> no, that's great, man. And that's a great, that's a great insight to have, you know, at that age, yeah. kind of, you know, to, to see that in yourself. Um, you know, I, it's funny. So, I, I mean, I love the events business. I started out, you know, promoting shows down here in LA and, and I've done events, uh, you know, I've done a lot, you know, hundreds of corporate events, that kind of thing, um, or parties paid for by corporations. I'll put it that way. Um, I decided that like, I, I like throwing parties, but I liked getting paid up front instead of trying to get money at the door. Um, so <laughs> I did that for, for a long time. Yeah. Um, but you know, for me, like, and, and I think I saw this in, in, in an uh, article uh, interview with you talking about like, you know, it's such a great training in attention to detail. Right. And, and like you said before, there's so many things that can go wrong. Sometimes they all go wrong, you know, on the same night or whatever, right? But there's there's all these things that have to go right in order to have a successful event, for people to have a good time, to make money, to, you know, for the artist to be happy, you know, all, all that stuff. Um, how does that how does that apply now? Now that, you know, now you have you have a festival business, you have a management business. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, specifically in management. How does that attention to detail and that training ground you had in, in events benefit? You know what? 
also, it's events business is kind of a crappy business, if we're being quite honest, right? So high risk, so low margin. It's like, sure. it's, if you told like an outside investor this, like he'd be like, you're high. Why would I put money into this? Like, right. Right. Yeah. Um, I always tell, like I've been speaking at colleges lately and whenever they ask about what the event side is like, I always say it's like, it's like, it's like you're building a sandcastle right next to the tides. Like all it takes <laughs> is that right one to just come in and crumble it all. Yeah. It's like you're just trying to build the sturdiest foundation at all times and make sure it's as stable as it can possibly be and, and hope that nothing really ruins it. Um, I will say this. I think with events, you learn a lot about risk and what the meaning of risk is and like how do I mitigate my risk? How do I yeah. avoid debt? How do I avoid – how do I take something that's so highly – not like, I guess, in investment verse, like the investors just don't want to put money into it. But like, how do I take something that seems like such a bad idea sure. to make it a good idea? Really? How do I maximize every ancillary and every revenue stream I could possibly think of? I mean, when you start out doing shows and like, let's say you're doing college events, right? Like we're thinking, oh, like, you know what? We just need the DJ equipment, some speakers, the, the you know, the keg and, mm -hmm. you know, people come five dollars at the door we're good right then you get to a point where it's like okay well what about up vip upgrades what about production like okay production is now like almost borderline six figure production for us or something like that right for this yeah. one event you yeah. know it's not even like it's not even like you know like a festival it's just like a regular show we're putting this much money into the production we're what is the you know where are the merchandise deals we got going on hey that parking lot across the street can we take a piece out of every every person that parks there like mm -hmm. we do validation like what can we, like you think of every little thing now yeah and i think i think this i think also like you know thing i started doing right before COVID hit was also just like realizing that there's the major promoters and then there's indie promoters that there's an ecosystem in between and there's a mm -hmm. way to utilize the majors in the way that a film studio might utilize you know the film production companies right like sure. they go like A24 might go to Warner Bros and say, hey, finance this, right? Right. They're like, I said, we started going really heavy on stuff like that right before COVID hit and like making deals like that. Um, so is that, am I, am I right with, with family business? You have uh, AEG Live, is that right? Yeah, we had AEG Live for the first year and we were okay. talking with a different party for the second year. Cool. Um, COVID hit, that, that paused it off, but yeah. you know, yeah. obviously on the outside of that, we were also talking to a bunch of artists because the focus we had with ABI specifically was like, Hey, you, we've spent two, three, four years to build a brand. Right. And the brand, what, what's the meaning behind this name that builds consumer trust? Is it that we just do really good shows? And sorry, so you're just <laughs> seriously, so like, uh-huh. It's like, what, what is the meaning behind the brand of the events we do? Like, let's say Insomniac, right? Like, think of how long it took Pascal to make that brand to be what it is. And for people yeah. to trust that name for its events and the caliber of its events. And I was like, what at its core is appealing, though, about the events? It's the artist, right? Sure. So rather than build a, I was like, with ABI, like, rather than build a whole entity that has a whole subcategory of brands, um, let's just focus on flipping brands with artists as the partner of the event, they have equity in the event, they're mm -hmm. invested in the event, they're curating the event and their names on the event. So it's them presenting the show. It's not us because who yeah. cares about us, whether right. we're, they're going to, with family business specifically, like it was like artists would trust, artists will trust, you know, young thug presenting a show off its first year. Then yeah. ABI presents family business. AEG presents family business this first year. Most right. kids don't know who the heck AEG or ABI are. I don't, of course. You talk to most normal people, they'll never know what that name means. So yeah. that was the idea. And we were talking to a bunch of other artists doing the same concept. Um, obviously, it stalled, you know, when COVID hit in March. And to be honest with you, I've been like, with ABI specifically, I've been so just like, I don't, you know, I don't really want to be the one risking it right now with like, Oh, the drive-ins. Oh, sure. you know, the, the live streams. Like there's so much going on right now. I believe there is a lot of new mediums coming out of it, but I think there's also just a lot of risk right now with just how COVID is. I mean, we're seeing it right now, how bad it's spiked in the last two months. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think it's just at this point, it's just like 
just like a sit back like we just need to assess this like, you just need to wait and see i mean it's funny you say right and and i think in some ways i mean you're you're right the you know the music business in general you know it's a bad investment for outsiders yeah. um right and and uh you know like you said the, the level of risk is just crazy to to a typical you know investment outlook um you know at the same time like that's what creates opportunity right and there's 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 entrepreneurs you know like like yourself like you know you know a lot of people that that i came up with that um were able to build businesses because it was too risky for you know a traditional uh yeah. you know investor or a traditional even you know even even hip-hop even dance music right it's like those grew on the backs of entrepreneurs who who weren't afraid of the risks that the major labels were afraid of yeah right? and, yeah. and you know whatever they didn't have as much to lose or they you know they just had a different perspective on it and so i think that's a really interesting dynamic of like you know so much of our of our of what we think of as amazing businesses today never existed totally. except for someone took this incredible risk that was really stupid and it paid yeah. off right or 100 percent. i agree i i think for me it's always been a challenge of like how do i make something that seems so stupid and i acknowledge it's stupid but how do i make it seem so appealing and to be That's honest hilarious. with you i I think a huge part of it, that's why we did like the artist partners festivals. Cause guess what? Like you go to an investor that's kind of cool and hit, what sounds better? It's like, Hey, young thug has his own festival. You want to invest? Or, Hey, I'm throwing my own festival. You want to invest? You're one company. Like, yeah, no, they'd be like, <laughs> yeah, of course. No, who the fuck are you? <laughs> right? right. But when you, and I, I took that actually from the film biz, where it's like a lot of the investment starts coming in. was like, Hey, this director is attached to this script. The writer is this guy. The act, the lead actor is this guy, and then they invest. The investors come in, pulling yeah. into the money and doing the slate deals. Whereas, like, you know, I was like, well, if I go in saying ABI is hosting Family Business Fest and these artists are performing, it's one con concept. But if I say Young Thugs hosting his own event, yeah, and these are the artists performing, it's another dynamic. No question. Combo. Yeah. So talk about the the management business a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, as as you started to make that transition and and add management. I'm curious, uh, two things, you know, how is your approach different than maybe other managers given your, your background on the live side? Um, and then also what did you do to kind of learn the parts of the business that you didn't know because you came from live? Dude, that's a really good question. Um, I'm trying to think where to start. Where, the way I've always managed an artist here and there on the side, always when okay. I was in the live stuff, but, and to be honest, I had a few that went really far. And I, I think maybe had I focused on them like fully, I probably would still, still be the manager, but you know, okay. at the time yeah. I was so absorbed in live and I was like, this is all I want to do. Um, that I didn't really, I didn't really put much time into it, but when COVID hit, I mean, okay, well, let me backstory it. I had, again, like a client that I had signed after family business and we were planning the 2021 events and like the calendar for this year, what artists we were going to partner with. So I had some downtime, but an artist that played the family business event was an artist named 10K Cash. He had a lot of steam going. He was getting signed to Def Jam. Like he was, had a, he blew up on TikTok from doing the woe dance. Just do it like Kaepernick. Two bad twins ain't look like double men. Big booty bitch and a tats up. It's too much stress you want to fuck on the low. Too much cups in the lane and I'm gone. Just a lot of good things were going for him, and um, he didn't have management. So a few words went by, and you know, eventually he was like, "Hey, let's let's do a management thing together." And I just I went running with it, you know. I, like I, I think so. With Family Business Fest, it was such a challenge because it was like in a city that I've never done a show before, in a state that I've never even been in before. And it was in a demographic that I'd never done a show before. I never did a, like a full blown hip hop event of that caliber in my life. You know? oh, so wow. I was yeah. like, yeah, I'd only done like maybe a thousand cap room shows here and there, um, but never like to that kind of budget and extent. And I was just like, that was just my all in card. Cause I, right before Family Business Fest, I, I was just like kind of having a moment of like contemplation of whether I wanted to do music anymore or not. Mm. But I kind of said, you know, I'm just going to double down, but this time I'm do everything different. Um, 
And when 10K picked, let me manage them, I just, I just kind of ran with it because it was just like something so fresh, so new, so much opportunity was there and I knew it. And I liked the kid. He was super dope. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it worked out. Like, you know, he got on Def Jam, became a universal music groups, like number one TikTok artist, like in the year, competing against like Justin Bieber and all them, New York sure. Times, did an yeah. interview with them, gave him his top 10. And, you know, we did a lot of growth together, you know, got, we got him an agency, we, you know, got him some shows and festival plays going on and all that. And, you know, I think when COVID hit, I think, well, you know, I'll tell you this, 10K has always been the kind of dude that just like, he wants to do his own thing. Like he just, he's that wild teen, he's, you gotta know, he's like 18, you know, he's like, he's a child. Like, right. he, he always wants to do his own thing. He's always thinking of the next like wacky thing to do in his life and I just kind of noticed like I need to expand on my business I can't just have one client you know of course and yeah I would it would have been enough you know and I just had decided like you know what I have some downtime and I'm gonna go find new artists that I really believe in and really like and resonate with me and all that and so Truthfully, I mean, I guess this year is when management really took off for me because I just started signing a bunch of acts. So I started with Space Man Zach. Then I signed an artist named Truth. Then I signed an artist named Harper. And then I signed an artist named Will Play. Um, and I think it's kind of funny because I, I noticed all of them revolve around the same sound. They're all kind of like, not Will Play, he's, he's different, but like most of them revolve around like that dark or emo rap sound that's really popping off right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of like, I think full circle for me because it's like, you know, we talked about like how with electronic music, my ex had been telling me like, hey, you should be looking for the next sound that matches what you're into, not right. the past. And I saw these artists, I'm like, oh my God this is exactly what she was talking about like five years ago. <laughs> and that's great. You know, I, I mean, emo rap's been around for a minute, right? Like sure. Lil Peep, Triple X, Juice World, all that. But I think now it's like, a, it's a very fruitful time for it. Cause it's like, it's looking for its new ringleader. Mm-hmm. And there's artists now that are just like blending it in different forms that those are the artists weren't doing it before. Right. And then we see the MGK record and you know, all that. So it's like, we're in a really good time for rock and hip hop to really blend in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so when you, when you find yourself in now, you know, in management, what, so what's the stuff that you've had to learn on the job, right? That you, uh, like I said, you've been doing it kind of all along, but you know, did you run into gaps or, or, you know, potholes, so to speak yeah, as, all the time. as you started? Yeah. It happens. I mean, I think. And where do you, where do you go with that stuff? I think the the biggest challenge is the artistic mind versus like the strategic business mind mm. left i always say is left brain versus right brain and so sure. as a manager you want to counter the artist the artist is going to be an emotional person he's going to be you know highly creative he's going to have his character flaws probably uh and you as a manager need to be the business guy you need to be the suit at the end i mean we if you've seen entourage you, you always see the dynamic right over there right. with like yeah. you know um eric and um Vincent Chase in that in the show it's, it's tacky as it is it really actually depicts it really well it's like one is you know very emotional very you know go with the flow whatever kind of guy right mm-hmm. the other guy is very like to the point like I'm gonna run the shit mm-hmm. and I think the challenges I've learned is dealing with artists you know sometimes they say things like it doesn't make sense sometimes they want to make a decision that's probably not the best for them and you gotta or you feel it's not the best for them. Sometimes, you know, you want to put input in certain areas that they don't want to put in. I don't know. Like, I think the biggest challenge is really just learning, learning your dynamic with each artist and where their comfort zone is with you and where it isn't. Learning yeah. how you can have control with them or like have yourself in line with them without like holding them back or like mm-hmm. being, not being liberating for them, you know? Um, you know, I think at the end, I, I'd like to think as a manager, I'm pretty artist centric compared to most. Like, you know, I, I believe the artist at the end, they has to always make the decisions of what he wants more than anyone else. And if he doesn't, 
you know, I, I think there's a big issue there. You know, yeah. he has to know himself better than anyone else. And I look into that for every artist I sign. Mm. I, I don't like to be too controlling. I like to be the guy that comes in to consult, mm-hmm. to build the team, and to bring the opportunities. And if there's a, you know, if there's like, you know, hey, well, what do we do with marketing? I can build that out. I can build the plan out for them. Right. Uh, on a level of everything else, like I always think it's just like, it's, it's kind of like a, a relationship. You just kind of got to, you, you learn with your partner where her comfort zones are. are not it's the same thing with an artist, right? Like you learn what his comfort zones are or her comfort zones are. Sure. Not, you know? Sure. No, that's great. I wish you had told me that uh, when I started my career as a manager, yeah. because, you know, I always felt like, you know, I was, I was young and I was, you know, I was, a fan of the artists that I managed, right? And, you know, if I look back, I was more of their biz dev person, right? So I would go out and try to hunt down opportunities, but I'm, you know, but I never really argued with my clients, right? And I never really told them like, hey, I think you're making a mistake and let's try it this way or let's, like I never really challenged them. And I think that was a huge mistake. Um, You know, it took me a long time to get to that uh, level of maturity. Well, well, now I'll challenge every, anybody. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, but I think I was I was trying to be their friends too much. Yeah, I mean, and so it's it's can, great it's great to hear you say that. If I could piggyback on that for a sec, I think the one thing I learned, especially, is like, I, I don't get me wrong, I've definitely fought clients early on, especially we'd have terrible arguments with each other because we wouldn't see eye to eye on certain things. And yeah, I think the the thing I learned the most with management is the art of communication. How can you say something to them right. that makes them want to listen to you? Right? Yeah, of course. Even if it's not what they, they even if they, they don't want it, at least it doesn't cause a fuss, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the art of like man, of being a good manager. I think it's like you convince your artist to do what you believe is best for him or, you know, if not, at least hear him out, be able to hear him out and see, hear why, why his perspective might be right. And there's been times I mean, 10K Cash, great example. There were certain things we would fight about for months. But then, to be honest with you, eventually I listened. And at the end of the day, when all said and done, he was right. Sure. And I can acknowledge that. Yeah. There was other things I was definitely right about too. But like, right. you know, that's the dynamic of being a manager. You of course. Just, no, and that's, and like you said, that's how it is in every relationship. And, and that's how it needs to be, right? Like you need to be able to listen as much as you need to be able to argue a point. Yeah. You know, I think ultimately, you know, now I work with clients and, you know, my, my goal is to get them to see my, de- my ideas as their own ideas, yeah. right? And, and so, you know, you, you want to lead them to something and then have them embrace it and own it as if, as if it was theirs. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I certainly made that mistake early on. I think a lot of managers do that they they're you know they see themselves too much just serving their clients as, as opposed to leading their clients i you know it's like i think there's like a dynamic of this in in my in my college like presentations i always have like this one slide and like i said we were talking about left brain versus right brain right it's like on one end i have a photo of like Lear cohen and on the other end i have a photo of like rick rubin Mm-hmm. And I think they're like really good examples of industry players throughout, yeah. not, not managers necessarily, but we see this right. with managers too, right? Like on one end you have the mogul, right? The guy that's pure business. Like he gives no fucks. He's a shark. Like he'll go after it. And he's really good at what he does. Like he's clearly at the position he is because he was so good at what he does uh, in that regards. But then you have Rick Rubin who's like, the Buddhist monk, you know, music producer that's so mm-hmm. artist centric, so artist friendly. He, you know, he's created massive artists. Like he's breeded acts, like, you know, from every genre you can think of, from heavy metal to hip hop to pop, like whatever, mm-hmm. rock, whatnot. And I would say like, I think like in any part of this industry, you kind of want to be the guy in the middle that can like bridge the two dudes. Mm-hmm. Like you could be like, the the eclectic a and r producer guy but you also want to be able to be that sharky mogul mm-hmm. you need to do mm-hmm. you know um obviously in the favor of your clients but yeah that, that's that's kind of how i see it. i feel like a lot of managers too like you know you see guys like sal the mexo or you see like most people look to them like 
like holy shit, they built the brand, they've done all this. But then there's also managers that like they haven't done all that, but they've actually like they've built a robust business for the artist. You know, it's it's all in the dynamic of your client. You know. I'm burning the ham. These so-called gangsters don't know how to approach the man. I chop up his ass. I chop up his friends, his mamas, and all of his kids. I come with the lid. I chop out the top of the beans on dollar just beans. Um, so you talked a little bit about, you know, partnering with, with Young Thug on the festival business um, and that, you know, I love that idea of just, you know, helping artists build festival brands. Um, so you kind of told me the, the advantages of that, which I think make perfect sense. What's the downside of partnering with, uh, with Big Talent? Yeah. Um, I think the part, I think, the biggest risk of doing that is really just like the artist being the face of a brand. Not every artist is good at promoting their themselves, yeah. honestly. And I think that that was one challenge we saw there. It's like, I mean, if you, if you know, if you know Thug's brand, he's a silent guy. Like he, he has never been this PR heavy dude, like right. doing every interview that gets thrown at him. He's, he's that's not him. He's yeah. pretty chill. And I think that was like one challenge we saw. It's like, okay, well we need, to make like we could get the billboard write-ups and all this stuff but like, we need him to like be forward facing with it as much as possible too mm-hmm. um and i you know i respect him and what he does because like he's clearly at the level of an artist he is he's clearly inspired the genres and the, the generation of artists that he has um you know doing what he does best but i think that's like looking back at it, i think that's like something i saw was being a huge challenge there in that particular event so when you go you know COVID's over, hopefully someday. Um, And you you go back to that business model and you want to start building other festivals in partnership with talent. What do you you look for in in the right partner? So, okay, if I could go back in time and just like mention what was with Doug that was so appealing, it was the fact that we're talking about an artist that is a very good live performer. He's always on really good shows. I mean... I see him at Rolling Loud all the time, and I was like, this dude's crashing it. Um, iconic, legendary Atlanta rapper. Like, we're talking about a guy that literally, this current generation of rappers almost are like one degree away from him. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they're bred through him. Sure. Him, Future, Gucci, all those guys. So we, I knew he had the stature. I knew he was already, he had to have something big in the works because he had a, a slew of like, slow releases last year or so so i was mm-hmm. like okay this guy needs to be must be working on something big and his team confirmed that they were um and i, I you know i gotta hate to say I, I think we just had a gut feeling that he was about to do something so big and make his like his biggest hits yet and we knew that he had all the cards to be a superstar and at the end of the day we just wanted we just thought it would be a great way to get him early and like yeah. work with him on time and sure enough as we talk with his team they're like hey he does have a new album he's got all these collabs with these artists like it's gonna be a big year for us there's a lot of pr going into it and a big tour and i'm like perfect like this is exactly what we're looking for yeah. so it just made sense um i think with other artists that we, we were in contact with it was the same thing okay also not to mention with thug like it was also like a situation where it's like He's not an arena act yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And we knew that it's like he could be, like we could push him that way if we, we were we partner enough and we were strategic enough. Yeah. And we wanted to do that. And so I think that's something we've been looking at a lot of the artists that we've been working with. Because we admit we're not, you know, we're not Live Nation. We're not AG. We don't have sure. billions of dollars to work with here. Like we're a boutique of two dudes. <laughs> right. And, and we, you know, we just, I think we're just really good at our jobs. At the end of the day, we push and we take the extra mile to make sure every show sells out. That's just a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking for artists that we can push to that next level of artistry and help them at the same time build a brand that the consumers trust. Like kind of what Camp Flavna became, the title right. of the creator. And they yeah. started being like a very small thing. And that was a huge, huge phenomenon. And we still have Dodger Stadium, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I love that. And I especially love the, um, you know, the, the idea of looking for like, you know, what does someone have left in them, right? Because 
you know, you talk about the Live Nations, the, you know, they make their business on um, people who are past their prime that can not, I mean, that's an overstatement, right? And, and obviously they have a, they have a, a lot of businesses they're in, right? But, but, you know, if I'm generalizing, right, you, you take artists who are past their prime that can tour forever, that can sell tickets forever. Um, Young global touring deals. Yeah, right. And uh, which is fine. I mean, that's, that's a business model, right? But I think um, it's much harder to say, uh, okay, well, this, a person, this person's achieved, you know, X, but we yeah. think that they have this, this untapped potential still in them. Yeah. Um, and to me, those are the ones, right? Like you get, you get people on the bubble yeah. and like, uh, that, that's the best feeling in the world. You know, I, I remember when I was like younger and I was working with Vital, like Santi and Max, the, the buyers, they, the founders really, but Santi and Max, they were very, so well-versed in value buys. Like yeah. they just had a good idea. Like this artist is going to be like, okay, he's a 10K act now. He'll be 45K by show day. Like, he'll be a 60... Like, and, I mean, like, the wow. is in the pudding. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they they were getting artists, like, you know, Nightmare for, like, fractions of what he was worth by show day or, like, Res, mm-hmm. fractions of mm-hmm. the price of what she was worth show day. And I always... I mean, I think me and all... And it, they'll probably kill me for saying this, but, like, their margins were always great because of that. Like, they would always yeah. get the artists yeah, sure. what it was worth day of, you sure. know? And um i always try to do that too i was like well who's gonna be popping this year like who's gonna be going off like can i make an analysis here i will tell you this i spoke a friend of mine at live nation her name is jackie Vita. she works she's i think like she took up a carrie davies role now in communications mm. but she and i had talked uh back earlier this year and she was asking well, so why do what would an artist go to you and do this with you when you're like you know a boutique versus like us Sure. And I was like, truthfully, it's the same dynamic of like, why would I buy a Honda or why would I get a Bugatti, right? It's like, there's a bespoke factor, I think, to working with us. Like, we actually have an attention to detail. We're yeah. not limited to a certain amount of parties. We can shop this around to anybody we want. So it doesn't have to be Live Nation presents or Neji presents event. It could be a Spotify or Apple Music presents this event. Mm-hmm. So we have more flexibility as to what to do to get the concept done right. Yep. Um, and we have more incentive to get it done the way they want it, you know? Um, and to be honest, we can maneuver hoops way easier than you guys. Sure. You guys, I, I ever work with a corporation, it's like how many, how long does it take for you to get that one marketing idea you had approved sure. and come back to you? It's like, it take, by the time they approve it, it's like, well, I, it's worthless now. I can't yeah. even do anything with this. You know? No, you're right. And I think it's, you know, it's always a good sign when people at big corporations don't understand what you're doing or yeah. they don't. Or, or, or it doesn't seem, you know, feasible to them. Uh, that usually means you're on the right track. She's a homie too. I, I, you know, yeah, she's, she's been super nice to me and super good to me. But like, sure, but it's a different you know, paradigm, right? Yeah, it's, it's a different world entirely. Yeah. You know, it's definitely, definitely a different world entirely. You know? Yeah. Um, so you talked about you know pivoting the business this year. Uh, where where's it going? Tell me tell me what you're most excited about. What do you you know? What's next year looking like uh, to the best of your knowledge? Man, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a good answer for you there. Um, on the management level, I think I'm just like really focused on my current clients, getting yeah. them where they want to go. Um, obviously, all of them. The one thing I will say, I fucking love hip hop. I love what it's doing. Like dude artists can be independent now like it's insane to see the numbers my clients are pulling in and they haven't even hit their full potential like they're just just getting started but like you know it's just it blows my mind it's like i think in 10 years ago you told me this was possible like the the numbers are hitting the 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 money they can make off streaming i've been like you're you're a liar right get out of here (laughs) but the fact of the matter is like artists now can be fully independent they don't need a record label a lot of music so niche now anyways that it's like it's, there is no real incentive to go to a label right it's like mm-hmm. you're not gonna end up on radio the mm-hmm. real only thing i can see is global marketing that's mm-hmm. about the only incentive i can see but besides that it's like i've worked with artists at majors i've worked with artists that are independent the majors all they market these do is hire out vendors anyways you can find right. the vendors yourself and hire them yourself you know Absolutely. if you have the capital to do so 
Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to maneuver it. So I think right now, you know, obviously my clients want to tour. Um, I want to keep pushing that independent paradigm of finding new strategic ways to like get the resources and uh, that they could receive from like, let's say a label, but like mm-hmm. not the, com- I guess not the same commitment level, you know? Mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see some labels start to realize that too. We're seeing more labels be open to like single deals and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Like it's kind of tough for me to tell you where we're going to go in the next year just because like even like five months ago I thought I was going to do it. It's it's not even in my head anymore. Sure. You know, and it feels like every few months I have to keep changing my plan. Um, (laughs) Which is, you know, I mean, that's that's the world we're in, right? And um you know, again, back to those roots and in, in the events business, it's like, uh, you know, uh, to me, what, you know, what hit me when I first started throwing clubs was like, you know, we had a great night, made some money, everybody had fun, you know, yeah. the next morning, everyone's talking about it. And we are like, oh, shit, we have another show coming up. Right. And, and now we're behind. Right. Or we're like we're, we're basically where we were a week ago or a month ago or whatever. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think that's very, you know, relevant to just where business is today is that like, you know, like say, you don't, we don't know, nobody knows what's around the corner. And, uh, and to some extent we never have, but we just weren't aware of it. Right. And so I think this has made us all a little bit more aware of uh, the precarious position that we're always in. A hundred percent. I just tell my friends, I feel like, you know, we live, especially when we're younger, we live life being it's like a straight linear line up, right? right? Yeah. The fact of matter, and like, there's like a point A and a point C, and it's like, oh, point A is like, I'm born, I'm, point C is like, I'm gonna get married, have kids, a wife, right. like all this good stuff, right? But I'm like, I always tell my friends, like, life is not like that. It's like jagged, it's back, and, it's like abstract yeah. art more yeah, than anything absolutely. else. And the fact of the matter is like, Love where that. your point A was when you started is, the point Z that you were intending to go to is probably not where you're gonna end up going. Sure. You know, go figure. Like my whole career, it's like I thought I was gonna be when I first started. I thought I was probably gonna be like a, uh, like a rock A and R. Then I ended up being like, a rock promoter, and now I'm electronic. Like, I'm in hip hop. If you told me I would ever do hip hop music, I would have called you a liar. I would have so thought funny. I would even like hip hop. I loved right. hip hop growing up as a kid, but like, you know, yeah, I never just thought that would be a thing. And now That's I'm great. doing it. But That's great. I try to do. I try to take my clients on. Like, I have like one year plans for them, uh-huh. but. I have three, like a six-month plan, a nine-month plan, three-month plan. I almost, to be honest with you, I focus more on the one to three months than I do on everything afterwards because that's yeah. contingent upon yeah. the first three months, six months. Absolutely. You know? No, it's great. Um, I love that. Nice. Um, at the end of the year. <laughs> for sure. Okay, I got to uh, do a little lightning round with you before Good. we let you go. Um, okay. What's your favorite city to travel to? Dallas, Texas. Okay. Yeah, it's a vibe. It's I've nice had a good time in Dallas. Texas. Yeah, good vibe. Good town. Good friends. Yeah, Dallas is one of those like it's it's surprising. Like it it doesn't seem on paper like it'd be a fun place. Uh, just because I don't know, it's in the middle of Texas yeah. and it's you know whatever. But I, I, I've loved it there. Deep Ellum, mm. Party Central. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what I love about Texas, like, okay, being in California, I always thought it was a yeehaw state, right. like everyone's exactly. gonna be crazy. Yeah, I go to they're nicer than California, so I'd say sure better hospitality. And I just remember it was actually the week of family business when it really hit me how nice these people are. Like, it's like eleven o'clock at night or something like that. We're getting a late dinner at Deep Ellum. We go to a bar. The bartender's hanging out with us, talking to us, and all that. And it's like, oh well, guess what, guys? I'm about to hop off my ships. How about we all go bar hopping together? And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, like super friendly. Like she doesn't care. Nice. Hang out with us. We hang out. Her, her friends come over. Like we all hang and talk, and like we just keep going, going, going. It's just like people, and it was like not like not like by all means, it's not like people were hitting on each other or anything like that. It was like literally just friends. Yeah, like, we're just being friends. Having yeah, yeah. That's so and cool. I was just, that was what kind of hit me. I was just like damn people are sweet like they don't care and then my friend mike zemer he's a promoter too he okay. hits me up there he's like oh i'm down the block i go link up with him like this is such a vibe i, I, I don't know I, dallas is awesome good food nice too. all right who's your favorite dj Ooh. that's a good question i want to say right now gasophacy okay yeah i love okay. dark music 
scratches it. Nice. What's the last great book you read? I don't know. I've read a few other books afterwards, but I think Conscious Capitalism was mm. a really good book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it was by the, I forget his name off the top of my head right now, but. I've seen it. I haven't read it, but I, I've, it's on my list. Yeah. Art of War is a really now. good book, too. For sure. Yeah. Classic, but. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one I read every few years. Yeah. Kind of yes. good reminders. You got to refresh your mind on that one. Absolutely. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Uh, I have a Mandalorian tattoo on my arm, so probably Star Wars or Batman Begins. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, who's taught you the most that you haven't met? Damn. Hmm. Question. Probably Donald Passman. <laughs> That's a good one. If you if you if you're in the music business, you need to learn from Donald Passman for sure. For sure. Oh, That's yeah. That's great. I've read that book every time he updates it. Like, I mean, that's another book you read over and over. <laughs> well, hey, here's the thing. My boss at Pinup when I first got started, the first thing he ever told me was, you want to work in this business? You want to go to LA? Read this book. Mm. He's taught everyone you look up to, everyone that you look up to has read this book, and that's why they're good at the job. It's the Bible. And he was that, right. Like, no question. Yeah. USC, I was just speaking at USC. I, in Kevin Lyman's class and the students, I put that as a resource for them. They're like, oh yeah, we have to do that every year. Yeah. I'm like, right on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It is the Bible. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. That's good. That's good advice for sure. Okay. Yeah. Last one. If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Or something like, Jesus fucking Christ, are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Living honest with you. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it has to be said. Yeah, my friends always call me Ari Gold because like <laughs> I have like that <laughs> that attitude. But it's like I, I'm also like the friendliest dude I'm working with my buddies, yeah. Okay. That's great, man. Thanks for doing this. It's so much fun. Yeah, thank you. It with you. This, this is awesome. Uh, no, nah, I really, really enjoyed it. I'd love to have you back. You know, hopefully we'll do it in person once we're uh please once we're done with all this quarantine. Thank you for putting me on this show too. <laughs> yeah, no, my my pleasure. Um so how should everybody follow you? and stay up on, on everything you're doing? Um, I mean, if they want to email me, my email is Cameron at inertia, I-N-E-R-T-I-A, management, M-G-M-T.com. I-N-E-R-T-I-A, M-G-M-T.com. Um, my Instagram is at itsalmasi, I-D-S-A-L-M-A-S-I. Um, I don't really use Twitter or anything else though. So cool. Not really a TikTok game for that. So. Right on. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll be watching for what's next. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, that was Cameron Almasi on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Love to hear what you thought. Hit us up on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. You can leave us a comment on our Facebook page, Rebel Radio Net. You can find videos of a lot of our interviews on our YouTube page. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice.